Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning. One more time. Good morning. Thank you. I missed you. It was hard to be away. And uh, I know y'all don't like flat PL. Uh, but sometimes it be what it be. So uh, it's good to be back in living color today. One thing I do want to say about at the movies that I didn't think about in the first gathering is if you are joining us online, I need you to know that the at the movies experience is only here in Water Place uh, because we cannot be showing movies online that we don't have copyrights to, uh, but we can't show them here. And so if you're regularly with us online and you're in Atlanta, it'd be great to see you in the building. It'll be a great day. Uh, today... We are uh, rounding the corner on our series, Spiritual. We've been in the series for several weeks now, uh, if you haven't been with us, and we only have two messages left. Uh, and what we've been doing over the last several weeks is answering specific questions. What is the meaning of life? Why did Jesus have to die? Why should I pray? Uh, we've been answering a series of questions across this message series to discover what it truly means to be spiritual. And today... We are going to ask and answer the primary question, why and how should I tell others? Why and how should I tell others? And I'm going to start this way with a silly question, a, a really a hypothetical question because I know the answer, but I think it will lead our minds into where we need to go. And that question is, have you ever lost anything? And of course you have. The answer is yes. I have several friends with ADD. You lose things all day, every day, right? My house is the collection point for the things that you lose. Uh, I've gotten several coffee mugs. Thank you for buying nice mugs and leaving them here uh, because I have not bought one in years, right? Of course you've lost things. So the second question would be, have you, have you lost anything precious to you? Have you lost anything precious to you where you felt that particular and, and unique pain of losing track of something that is incredibly dear to you, whether that is an object or in my case, a person? You see, I was at the zoo and if you're a parent and you haven't yet, let me go ahead and tell you, you're going to lose at least one of your children at some point. They wander off, they disappear, they duck and dodge. That's why, you know, after the first two, when the third one started to get up and try to walk, I threw pillows at his feet because I was like, I'm not going to let you wander off too. But that's what they do. And we were at the zoo. I was there with Eden and she was standing right by me, right? They're always standing right by you. And, and I looked up and I looked down and she was gone. And if you've ever been in this moment, you know exactly how it feels, the panic that comes over you, that, that sense of, of, of deep, and we lived in the city. We, we were in Grant Park in Atlanta, so anything could happen, especially back then before it got gentrified and nice and everybody wanted to be there. And, and so, you know, we're standing there and then she's gone and I get this deep sense of panic and I start to spin around and turn from side to side to try to figure out where my daughter is and I'll never forget that gripping fear and that thought to myself that she was just here and all of a sudden she's gone. Thank God that what felt like an eternity was actually only about 90 seconds and I turned again and there she was standing at the flamingos going pink daddy, pink. <laughs> She was fascinated by the flamingos. And you know what? 
I was so overjoyed at having found her that there was no room left in my heart to be frustrated that she wandered off. I was so excited that I discovered where my child was that there was no capacity left inside of me to be angry for the fact that she wandered in the first place. Now, perhaps you're not a parent, but it's reasonable that you would understand that general sense of panic of losing something or someone precious to you. In fact, I think it's ubiquitous. It's a ubiquitous feeling. And it's equally valid that you understand the consuming joy that comes on you when you discover that person or maybe that thing that you lost. And I share this with you to draw a parallel. You see, in those moments, when we lose something precious and then find it again, and we experience that elation. Or when we lose something precious and on the front side of that, we experience that sorrow. We are experiencing what is akin to the divine sorrow and the divine joy of God. His sorrow over his children who have wandered away and his joy over their return. Thank you, one person. There's a special crown in heaven for you. The rest of these people are going to live on Jesus' skid row. No. <laughs> you see, God, God has many valuable and beloved children that have wandered away from their father. And the thing is, his children have not wandered a few feet away to a penguin pond. They've wandered into pain. They've wandered into tragedy. They've wandered into difficulty. They've wandered into challenge. They've wandered into abusive relationships. They've, they've wandered into sin spirals. They've wandered into places that are destroying their lives. And they've wandered in a way that may mean that they wander away from God for eternity. And his children who have returned have a necessary privilege. Can we put those two words together? A necessary privilege in helping to bring God's wandering children home. It is the great joy of our lives to participate in seeing lost ones arrive safely home. It is no trivial matter in fact, the Bible says that God and heaven rejoice when one of his lost ones are found. Yeah. Just one. Yeah. And there are millions, millions in the city of Atlanta. Just in Atlanta. Just here. And we have people watching from all over the world. You know exactly what's going on in your city. There are millions in this city who are wandering and lost and without hope. And we have the remedy. If God and heaven celebrate the return of just one of his children, then can I ask you another set of questions? I'm going to do it anyway, but I thought I would ask your permission first. When was the last time that you shared with someone God's love for them? It's not to make you feel guilty. It's to invite you to be honest. 
Because I know what the stats say. The stats say that 80 plus percent of Christians will never share their faith. When is the last time that you invited somebody to know the love of Jesus? The unconditional, magnanimous, never changing, unending love of Jesus in a world where love is almost exclusively transactional. When is the last time that you've told someone that God is not this angry judge sitting in the corner of the universe waiting for you to make the right wrong step so that he can squash you, but instead he's a grieving father standing on the roadside looking every single day, pleading that his children would come home. That's who he is. When is the last time you shared that good news? Now, I know you think to yourself, maybe some of us, you don't even know where you stand with Jesus. And I respect that. In fact, if you are one who would say, I do not practice the way of Jesus, then your reticence is totally understandable. But for those of us who have say it, would, would say that we've experienced the love of Jesus and we know the love of Jesus and we've experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit and we've experienced the kindness of the Father and we've experienced the grace of the gospel, we've experienced the power of the resurrection. If we've experienced these things, why would we withhold them from anyone else? Why would we not share that good news? You know, there was a trend a couple years ago. Um, it was infecting the, uh, the emerging evangelical church. And if you're not, again, if you're not a Christian or one who practices the way of Jesus, or if you are, but you just try to steer clear of church tea, which I also respect, you might have missed this. But there was this period, and it was widespread, all over social media, all over in different churches where I'm speaking, where people were taking this posture of misquoting the church father, St. Francis of Assisi. And, and the quote that they attributed to him was, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. The problem with that quote is it sounds powerful, but he never said it. And it is also completely contradictory of the way he lived his life and contradictory of what the Bible teaches us. In fact, one biographer wrote of St. Francis, he preached to any who gathered to hear the strange but fiery little preacher from Assisi. He was sometimes so animated and passionate in his delivery that his feet moved as if he were dancing. So if we have good news, maybe the question is why should we, like St. Francis, tell others? Well, the first reason is because Jesus told us to. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time in service today. Thank you for the efficiency of your word so that I don't have to be repetitive for the next 26 minutes about something that you've already told us to do in Jesus' name. Jesus told us to. Did you know the word go was in the Bible 1,514 times? Jesus was always telling people to go, to go and tell, go and invite, go and tell them what I've said, that I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That is good news in a world that is constantly sucking life from us. The second reason is the needs of other people. 
You and I know this, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, you and I know that there's a deep spiritual hunger inside of us. There is. It is why we're searching for God everywhere else. We're searching for God in our workplace. We're searching for God in our success. We're searching for God in relationships. We're searching for something. This is what it is, guys. We're searching for something that fills a hunger deep down that no material possession or person is ever going to satisfy. There's a great spiritual hunger in the world. And, and, and because of that spiritual hunger... People are pursuing endless things in order to try and satisfy it. But we know and we've been told that Jesus satisfies that spiritual hunger. That he touches that place inside of us that nothing else can touch. That he died to set us free. This is the amazing news we can bring to other people. You know, I read something that the late Sinead O'Connor said with respect to this spiritual hunger. She said... As a race, we feel empty because our spirituality has been wiped out and we don't know how to express ourselves. And as a result, we're encouraged to fill that gap with alcohol, drugs, sex, or money. People out there are screaming for the truth. I know it may not seem like it, but if you think back, to your life before Jesus, you know that you too were screaming for the truth and hoping that someone would tell you. And so today I want to tell you just a few ways and I'll be out of your way of how it is that we go about sharing the good news of the gospel with people. There are almost innumerable ways because here's the deal. If you were in a desert, if you were in a desert and you found an oasis, that could quench your thirst. Wouldn't it just be decently human to tell other people where they could find a drink? Well, we're talking about eternal thirst and an unending oasis in Jesus that we get the privilege of sharing with others. And the first thing that we do is presence. Presence. The first way that we share the good news is presence, by, by being out there, by being out there in the world, not of the world, in the world, yeah. by being out there. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16, he said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying that your, your calling, the, the shape of your life is to be salt in this world. Now, I know that we don't have a unified perspective on seasoning. And there's room for that in our community. There's room at the table for everyone. If you take chicken straight out of the refrigerator and put it in the pot, you will still be loved here. But what does salt do? <laughs> I tried. What does salt do? Salt adds flavor flavor. But in the ancient times, before they had refrigeration, before they had freezers, before they had Costco, how did they live without Costco? I was anti-Costco. And then Brianna took me and I saw the light. The meat rats were alive with music. Steaks as far as the eye can see. 
Television so big it made my heart palpitate all in one place. I digress. In ancient times, before they had refrigeration, before they had freezers, salt was not used for flavoring. It was used for preservation. It was used to keep the meat from going bad. It was used to keep that which was salted from spoiling. And what Jesus is saying is that I have put you into the world so that collectively my body can minimize the spoiling of this world, can minimize things going bad in this world, can minimize the sideways nonsense of this world. That is why you were placed in the world as salt, so that you can help preserve what is good and right and dignified about humanity. God's going to give you wide-ranging influence if you ask for it. And he'll allow you to salt the earth with your presence. And not only salt it, but Jesus said also to light it. To light dark places. In fact, Dr. Martin Luther King said, this darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And so Jesus is saying that we need to be in our workplaces as salt and light and love. We need to be in our communities as salt and light and love. We need to be among our friends as salt and light and love. And you do that by the life that you lead. You do that by acting with integrity. You do that by kindness. You do that by avoiding gossip. You do that by speaking the truth. You do that by being an integrated human being who is the same in every room and not showing a different face to different people. And you put yourself in a position of incredible influence. And that influence makes people watch your life. It does. And what does Jesus say? He wants people to watch your life so that they will see your good deeds and then praise your Father in heaven. Think about Wilbur Wilberforce, William Wilberforce. He was 27 years old, guys. 27 years old when he looked at his world and said, slavery is an ill, it is disgusting, it is dehumanizing, it is perverse, it is ungodly. He looked at his world and he said, this has to end. And at 27 years old, he ran for office in parliament for one specific purpose, to end slavery. He put forward bill after bill after bill after bill, and they were all struck down year over year, year after year, meeting after meeting. They were struck down because that society had convinced itself that it was good and right to try and own people. 45 years later, did you hear what I said? 45 years later, the Abolition of Slavery Act was passed in parliament. Three days later, he died, having fulfilled his purpose in his generation. Wilberforce of his work in his own words said, the almighty will give me success. And he believed it and he lived into it and he changed the world. 45 years. Listen, I know this is not the message today, but somebody needs to hear this. You're going uphill right now and you're thinking about turning it around and going the other way. But some of us need to ask God for endurance for the task. Because great work doesn't happen quickly. And world change doesn't come easily. But that doesn't mean we don't try. 
And today there are massive needs in the world, massive needs in the world. There are at least a billion people in the world who live on less than a dollar a day. They go to bed hungry every night, every night. Every four seconds, poverty takes the life of a child. Last year, 1.5 million people died of AIDS-related diseases. Slavery today is far more widespread than it was at the height of chattel slavery. There's much for us to do, much for us to do. And I know what you're thinking. You hear that and you're like, well, what am I? I'm one person. What am I supposed to do? I can't take all that on. No, you can't take all that on, but we can take some of it on. Right? In fact, I heard this little illustration that I like. It's, it's cute and it's powerful. Uh, there, there was a man walking along the beach in Mexico, and he saw on the beach tens of thousands of starfish. And the tide had receded and just left these starfish dying on the beach. And then he looks down the beach, and there's a little boy, little boy walking along, picking them up one by one and throwing them back into the ocean. One by one, picking them up and throwing them back into the ocean. And the man, this is why Jesus says, have faith like a child. The man who was too cynical to see the opportunity before him said to the child, what are you doing? There is no way you're going to be able to help all of these starfish not die. The boy picked up another starfish, walked past the man, tossed it into the ocean and said, yeah, but I bet I helped that one. But I bet I helped that one. And that is the invitation before us. That's all we got to do is take on what we can take on, but we got to take on something as salt and light in this world. Number two is persuasion. Persuasion, presence accompanied by persuasion, not pressure, chill, not pressure. This is not high pressure sales. In fact, let me relieve you right now. Did you, do you understand that it is not your job to get anybody into heaven? That it's not your job to close the deal? It's your job to point the way. Only the Holy Spirit can do the rest. It's your job to share good news. Only the Holy Spirit can make that news come alive in somebody's heart. Right? So we're not talking about pressure. We're talking about persuasion. We're talking about persuasion. We're talking about intelligently dialoguing with people about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and persuading them why this is good news. In fact, 1 Peter 3.15 reads this way, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Peter added that on purpose, with gentleness and respect. Gentleness is the opposite of arrogance. We're not talking about approaching a situation and trying to make someone feel stupid. We're talking about approaching a situation and helping someone see that what they're clinging on to may actually be leading them away from the life they actually want. It's gentleness and it's respect. Respect because every human being is created in the image of God. And so we respect the divine deposit of God's image on every person, no matter what they believe. And that gives us room to persuade. That gives us room to persuade. Some of my most fantastic conversations have been sitting on the other side of peppered questions where I didn't come back with a a whole bunch of curated answers that would make me look smart and make them feel dumb, but instead asking it, well, why do you see it that way? And, And what gave you that perspective? And what if there was another way to receive this? And it puts people in a position of receptivity so that we can persuade them that the news of Jesus is far more powerful than the message of the host culture that tells us to get all we can until we die. 
We persuade. We persuade. You know, persuasion is challenging. Story of the Titanic, you know it. But did you know that people knew the boat was sinking before it sank? And they were running around telling people, the boat is sinking, the boat is sinking. Hey, the boat is sinking. They were trying to persuade them. And no one was persuaded. And so half of the early lifeboats left empty. Jack and Rose could have been on one of those lifeboats. (laughs) And I'll go further and say that there was more than enough room for him on that plank. He was not a large man. She was trying to write a grand story. They wouldn't be persuaded, even though people were pleading them for what re- with them for what reason? Out of love, out of love, and that's why we persuade people out of love. I remember uh, Penn of Penn and Teller years ago told this story. I don't have time to tell the whole thing, but he got evangelized to by a Christian on a plane, and afterwards he was reminiscing on it, and he said, "You know what? I realized in that moment, and I'm an atheist." He said this: "I'm an atheist." But I realized in that moment that if you believe that as a Christian, if you believe it, then it is wrong for you to not share it with me. Because that would be like you believing that a truck is coming and if I step off of the curve, I'm going to be hit by this truck and die and you not saying anything because you don't want to offend me. This came from an atheist. We persuade out of love because we genuinely believe in the good news of the gospel and that that is the fullness of life. For anybody who receives it, we are present, we persuade, and then we proclaim. We are called to communicate the message of Jesus, not just to live in a certain way, but to actually communicate it. And there's a couple of ways you can do that. One way to do that is come and see. Come with me to church on Sunday. Just see what it's like. See what it's like to enter a space where people care about you, not for what you have or for what you can do, but for who you are. See what it's like to enter a space of unconditional love. Come and see what it's like to be among people who are not jockeying for position all the time. Come and see what it's like to experience the transcendent presence of God in worship and prayer. Come and see. It's like the lady at the well in John chapter 3. She met Jesus. She ran back to town and she said, come and see a man who told me everything about my life. Could this be the Messiah? That's how we share the good news. We invite people to come and see. John 1, 41 through 42 tells us this, that the first thing Andrew the apostle did after he met Jesus was find his brother Simon Peter and tell him we have found the Messiah. And then he brought him to Jesus. The Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, said this, that the greatest service one person can render to another is to bring them to Jesus. And what you find in the story of Peter is powerful, isn't it? We don't hear about Andrew being the foundation or or the, the rock or the pillar of the church. We don't hear about Andrew doing great exploits for the Lord. We don't hear about Andrew being martyred upside down for his faith. No, we hear about Peter. And if you go to Rome today, you will see the influence of Peter generations later simply because his brother was willing to say, come and see. Come and see. I heard a story about a man named Albert McMakin. He was 24 years old. 24 years old, he was a farmer. He had just become a Christian. And he heard that there was going to be a tent revival in town. Anybody know what a tent revival is? 
Yeah, it's a few of y'all. If we throw, throw a tent up out there, you think we can get the ghosts to move, right? It was a tent revival in town. And he wanted all his friends to go. He wanted all of his friends to go to the revival so that they could encounter Jesus. <clears throat> but there was one person that he wanted to go more than all the others. And I hope all of us have that person. I hope we, we have uh, innumerable people we want to see come to the saving knowledge and faith of Jesus Christ because of his life and his death and his resurrection. But I hope that we all have that one person, that person that we are praying for, that person that we want to see enter the kingdom of God, that person that we love. This was his person. He said, if I get him, it's not that the others don't matter, but I got to get him. But this guy was very unlikely to come. Uh, the story goes that he was very handsome and he had many girlfriends. Those are two great obstacles to faith. And Albert didn't think he would come. So he persuaded him, right, to just drive the van. You don't even have to come in. Just drive the van. Just drive the van to the event. That's it. So he drives the van. And as he's sitting there in the van, he hears what's going on inside this tent, and he gets curious. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit can turn curiosity into faith. He gets curious. And so he goes inside, and he stands in the back, and he is suddenly and inexplicably spellbound by everything that's happening, deeply moved by it. And so he comes back night after night after night after night. And eventually, the preacher there, the communicator, uh, says to the crowd, if you want to give your life to Jesus, come to the front. And this young man, this handsome young man with all his girlfriends goes down to the front and receives Jesus. Since that day, this young man has spoken to 210 million people in person about Jesus. He's been the friend and confidant of nine American presidents. He has spoken through television to half the world's population. And some of you probably know him as Billy Graham. Billy Graham didn't want to go to church when he got saved. We will not all be Billy Grahams, but we can all be Albert McMakin. We will not all speak to millions of people. But we can all be the one that brings the one that might, that might, that might change everything, everything. So, presence, presence, right? Persuasion, proclamation, proclamation, and then power, power. Let me tell you something. You can't do this without the Holy Spirit's power. I need you to know that. That's why when we had Alpha Weekend, we prayed, come Holy Spirit, because you can't do this without the Holy Spirit's power. You may recall, if you know your Bible, that when Jesus died, the disciples went and hid in the house. They went and hid in the house. Jesus showed up, walked through the wall, back, cooked me some fish. Make sure you season it, right? <laughs> Thomas touched his hands, whole situation, bala, right? They were hiding in the house. Acts chapter 2, fast forward, the Holy Spirit comes. And all of a sudden, they're out in the street in boldness. So bold that the people were like, I think they're drunk. And Peter was like, it's only 9 a.m., bro. 
Acts chapter 4, it tells us that they went home after being arrested and prayed for more boldness to share the gospel. This is what the power of the Holy Spirit does. It is why we gather in worship. It is why we pray for one another. It is why we ask for the Holy Spirit. Because we know that if we try to share the good news of the gospel in our own strength, it will fall flat every time. But if we tap into the power source, he that is in us that is greater than he that is in the world, the power in us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that resurrection power, and we walk in that power, then we will have boldness to share the good news of the gospel we will not fear we will not fear lastly it's prayer it's prayer amen prayer we got to pray for people Romans 10 1 Paul writes my heart's desire and prayer to God is that you may be saved and so I want to encourage you today and we got to pray for people. We got to pray that God would encounter them in ways that we can't imagine. Listen, I don't have time, but I could tell you story after story of people that I never thought would darken the doors of a church. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And then they were in my home and then we were having meals and then we were hanging out. And, and, and 14 years later, they came to church for the first time in their entire life. I can tell you 10 of those stories. Not to elevate me. Y'all know my prayer life is terrible. It's the worst part of my Christianity. I'm working on it. Pray for me, prayer team, that I will learn how to pray better. But what I can do, I can pray for folks who are far from God because of that burning desire to see them encounter the love of Jesus. And we got to pray for folks. Okay? We got to pray for folks. You need to have at least one person in your heart and in your mind that you are praying for at all times to encounter the good news of the gospel. We got to pray for folks. Prayer leads to power. Power leads to proclamation. Proclamation opens the door for persuasion. Persuasion is activated through presence. Do you see how they all work together? If we'll do these things, we will see many Daughters and sons come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now in the name of Jesus for your power, for your ability to persuade, for your presence through us to help us be present as salt and light. We can't do it in our own strength. We thank you for the words to be able to proclaim, and we thank you for the boldness that we can't manifest that helps us to proclaim. Father, raise our redemptive passion. Raise our love for those who are far from you. Make us the church that you would desire us to be. We ask in Christ's matchless name.